Everybody needs beauty as well as bread. Places to play in and pray in. When nature may heal and give strength to body and soul alike. This natural beauty hunger is made manifest in our magnificent national parks. Nature's sublime wonderlands. The admiration and joy of the world. John Muir. For more than 30 years, documentary filmmaker Ken Burns has revealed many of the great mysteries of our uniquely American culture. Like an archaeologist, he uncovers layers of time to show us through his films the artifacts of our not-so-distant past to shed light on the course of events that have brought us to where we are today. In his latest film, The National Parks, America's Best Idea, which airs on PBS stations nationwide in September, Burns demonstrates that the preservation and protection of our wild and scenic places embody the most cherished ideals of our American heritage and the legacy of our future. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. What is it about film and your particular style of filmmaking that makes the documentaries that you make so compelling? You know, I think what we're engaged in is what I've described as an, an emotional archaeology. I think too often documentary films have been expository, that is, they're like homework. This is what you should know. This is what I know, and I'd like to tell you what you should know. And what we've tried to do is share with you a process of discovery. I never make a film about something I know about. I make films about something I want to know about, and then I want to share that information. And I think the, the our interest extends even beyond that, that the stories we want to uncover, we, we want them to be complicated, that we don't want them to be superficial. We want to deal with a very complex historical background because we know that history is the, is the best guide to today. I mean, just think about the inaugural speech that Barack Obama uh, recently gave. Uh, it's filled with historical illusions. We're, we're constantly measuring in, in almost everything we do ourselves and and this tenuous and unknown future against what's gone before and so to me history is this incredibly potential filled uh, story treasure trove and the question is do you go and tell stories that serve um, kind of superficial and kind of sanitized Madison Avenue version of things or do you show a complicated history that actually gives people tools to deal I mean, deal with all the stuff, and particularly now when there's tough stuff, history can be an incredibly helpful tool. Now, your career in filmmaking goes all the way back to, I believe, 1982 in your film, The Brooklyn Bridge. What was it about that particular period in time in your career and moving forward to your most recent film, The War, and now the film that you're introducing now, National Parks? Well, it's interesting, you know, at that point, I got drawn to the story of how the Brooklyn Bridge was built and to tell that story I had to use archives and to make that story come alive I had to treat archives a little bit differently than most people did which was hold them at arm's length and pray that they could come alive. Um, this is you know I had no idea that I would just be continuing in a historical uh, vein for the rest of, of my professional career at least till now. Um, 
you know, we recently released The War, which was in many ways the sort of height of that. We were telling bottom-up stories of ordinary people from four geographically distributed towns and let them narrate, in essence, the greatest conflict in the history of the world, the Second World War. That film was hugely successful, and it, it really galvanized a lot of people to start telling stories that they hadn't told. This new film, called The National Parks, America's Best Idea, is even more intimate, and I would have never thought about it. We've been working on it for 10 years. Uh, we've been to all, nearly all the parks, and my partner has been to all 58 of the natural national parks. We've been to many of the other sites of the 391 sites that make up the Park Service. But we've dealt into the history of it, and that's what's been amazing. And you begin to see that the, our connection to the land is much deeper than we possibly imagine. And so the emotion, strangely enough, that has been generated by ordinary folks looking at this now finished film is, is as great, if not greater, than the response to the World War II film. And I'm sort of still flabbergasted. I, you know, we still got eight months before we release it in September, but... Um, I'm, I'm stunned by the uh, response we've been getting. What is it about national parks? And you, you, the subtitle is America's Best Idea. Yeah, that comes from the writer uh, Wallace Stegner, who said he thought it was America's best idea. I think everyone would say, hey, wait a second, I thought what Thomas Jefferson said, all men are created equal, was the best idea. And it is, but once you create a country based on these sorts of notions of freedom and liberty, I can't think of a better thing that we've done since we were started then. Uh, create the national parks. For the first time in human history, land was set aside not for kings, not for noblemen, not for the very rich, as it had been through the entire history, but for everyone, for all time. And it's been copied by every other country on earth. And it is in a diverse, complicated, big country as we are. It's one of the things that stitches us together, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we go or not. We are all bound by the symbols of who we are as a nation. So the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial are a part of the National Park Service. The Statue of Liberty is. But we were also united by a sense of the land. You know, my country, tis of thee. Uh, they don't mean you're talking about uh, factories and highways. It means the beautiful, beautiful uh, land that sometime in the 19th century we said, yikes, if we don't do something about it, it's all going to be gone. The miners will dig it, the, the, the dammers will dam it, the, the timber guys will cut it down, and we won't have any of this left. Let us try to save it. If we don't have these places left, then we're not going to have a lot of animals left. If there wasn't a Yellowstone Park, there would be no buffalo. Period. End of statement. The species would be extinct. You mentioned that you want to make sure that people have tools to deal. And one of the things that I think a lot of people are dealing with is being trapped in our urban centers. They don't have the opportunity right. or the ability to go outside. Right. That's especially true of the economically poor and many minority populations Absolutely. in this country. And what they will take comfort in when they see this film is that the story of the national parks is not just the story of rich and famous people like Theodore Roosevelt or the naturalist John Muir or the philanthropist John D. Rockefeller Jr. They're there. They're important. But there are Native Americans and Hispanics and African Americans who have equally compelling and equally important stories which we tell equally 
in this in this film and it's that's a revelation on top of that one of our principal funders is the Haas Junior Foundation from San Francisco and they have not only insisted in helping us in the production which is always a great thing but they have actually paid us more to do educational outreach which will target underserved and essentially minority communities in urban areas to give them a sense of ownership they're paying for a full Spanish language tra translation of the film uh, they are uh, sending us on a multi-city tour that will go into the inner cities and say let me tell you about Captain Charles Young of the Buffalo Soldiers, uh, the first stewards and custodians of our national parks. Well before there was a park service, there was no money to take care of them, and the cavalry was essentially uh, maintaining order. And in many parks, particularly in California, Yosemite and Shenandoah and General Grant, a park uh, then, it was the African-American Buffalo Soldiers. It's a heroic, uh, wonderful story. Uh, the first biologist who said, you know what, these aren't zoos. These aren't attractions. These aren't resorts. These are natural habitats. We're, we got to stop feeding the bears. We got to stop, you know, having them a access to these dumps. We can't just give have the the candy at the roadside. This may be cute and it may make for nice, cuddly pictures, but th these are habitats that we need to protect. And we're exterminating the predators. And why are we doing that? This these are ecosystems that we have a responsibility. And the person who argued most vociferously for this in the 1920s was a young Hispanic uh, biologist named George Melendez Wright. I mean, without George Melendez Wright, we might not have the buffalo. We might not have one of the world's largest elk populations. We would not have the trumpeter swan, which he almost single-handedly brought back from the brink of extinction. We wouldn't have a park service that said, okay, let's close down the garbage dumps. It might be cute, but this is not ecologically right. And so what's great, just as when Thomas Jefferson said all men are created equal, he didn't mean people of color. He didn't mean women. And, and so if the story of America has been the enlarging of that, the story of the National Parks idea has also grown. At the end of the day, when people have seen this film, I can imagine that you would hope that they would come away with a better appreciation for National Parks. What do you hope they will be inspired to do? Well, let's go back to the very beginning, emotional archaeology. What, what does that mean? I mean, it, it just means that our connection with something cannot just be superficial, the way we spend so much of our lives. The things that matter to you and to me most are the relationships and the work we're proudest of. They've benefited from our sustained attention. So I think at the end of the day, I hope that somebody digesting this film, if you will, will want to go out and see this amazing heritage that we have out there. Uh, these are tough times, and the way we kind of restore ourselves is in these places. Um, the, these are tough times. Uh, during the Depression, the national parks flourished as never before. Americans went there and found their commonness. They learned how to roll up their sleeves and work together. The CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, found its greatest work in national parks, rebuilding the roads, rebuilding the uh, trails, rebuilding the uh, ranger stations, uh, bridges that we walk on, trails that we hike today. Are, were done during that earlier time, and, and I believe you're going to see uh, part of a stimulus package, a kind of uh, resurrection of the let's get the parks fixed up, because that gives Americans something to go to and realize it's still okay. You know, Grand Canyon is still there. You know, Old Faithful still going off. That Yosemite Valley, that waterfall still come. you know. So when you have that sort of stuff, it sort of feels like you can meet some of the problems, and I think I hope the film is. It's just like um, a good friend. We have a new president. 
a brand new administration, a lot of people are coming into this with a great deal of hope. Yes. What do you hope? Well, you know, he said in the last paragraph of his um, inaugural address that it was qu quoting Washington, that it was hope and virtue. Hope had been the theme of the campaign. It's a passive thing. We hope inside. Virtue requires activity. So I think what the National Parks demanded of us is a kind of active stewardship. We have the greatest deal on earth. You and I own some of the most beautiful seafront property. You and I own some of the tallest trees and some of the most beautiful waterfalls. You and I own the grandest canyon on earth and all we have to do is take care of it. One of the last jobs I had in Yellowstone was delivering the mail on snowmobile. There I was in the world's first national park and I remember going down into Hayden Valley. There were bison crossing over the road, 2,000 pound mammals crossing over the road and it was so cold, it was about 60 below zero. And the bison, as they breathed, their exhalation would seem to crystallize in the air around them. And there were these sheets, these ropey strands of crystals kind of flowing down from their breath. And uh, uh, I saw them, they just moved their heads and were looking at me. And I remember thinking that if I had not been on that machine, I would have thought I had been thrust fully back into the Pleistocene, back into the Ice Age. And I remember just stopping and turning it off because the only way you could hear is to turn that thing off. And I would turn it off and I would listen. And I felt like this was the first day. And this morning was the first time the sun had ever come up. And the shadows that are being cast right now is the first time those shadows have ever been cast on the earth. And I was all alone, but I felt I was in the presence of everything around me and I was never alone. It was one of those moments when you get pulled outside of yourself into the environment around you. And I felt like I was just with the breath of the bison as they were, were exhaling and as I was exhaling and they were inhaling. It was all kind of flowing together and I forgot completely about the male. All I was thinking of was that a single moment in a place as wild as Yellowstone, or most of the national parks, can last forever. That was Yosemite National Park interpretive ranger Shelton Johnson in a scene from the film The National Parks, America's Best Idea by Ken Burns. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. <laughs>